Good morning. I brought a picture today that some of you have probably seen, but I thought I would share it with you anyway. Um, it's one of my favorite pictures of our family. And when people see that picture that we had taken on Halloween a couple of weeks ago, I get pretty much three reactions. Number one, wow, your wife must really like Star Wars. Uh, number two, man, no wonder my doctor is so passionate about concussions. She even like wears a metal thing on her head all the time. And number three, like, oh, your triplets are really cute. Now, clearly I'm playing a game with you right now called No Truths and Three Lies. None of those things happen. I think everybody knows that uh, I'm the Star Wars nerd in my house and my wife, uh, as, as well as she makes R2-D2 fashionable. She's much more fashionable, not on Halloween, in non-Star Wars clothes. And our kids are not actually triplets. In fact, uh, our kids were born on three different continents. Um, our son there, Zachary, he was born in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, our oldest, Ellie, she was born in Vietnam, and our daughter, Hannah, she was born in Ethiopia. And so that has given us a certain perspective on the world and on life, but it has also given us a, a perspective on Scripture because there are times in Scripture where especially Paul talks about what it looks like for us to be adopted into the family of God what it looks like for us to be God's children. And where we're at now, about halfway through Romans, as we've covered a lot of territory, Paul really starts to dig into that. And he starts to dig into some verses that have become particularly meaningful to me and to our family over the years, and that I think will probably become a mantra for us as our kids continue to get older and as we can continue to talk to them about what life looks like and, and who God is and who God wants to be in their lives. But, but particularly in Romans 8, beginning in verse 14 and going on into verse 15, Paul says this. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of of God. And man, those are great verses. Those are beautiful verses. Those are poetic verses. Paul uses some very intimate language there. And if you've been adopted or if you've been in the adoption world, if you know people who foster, those become even more particularly technicolor dream cult meaningful to you in regard to what our relationship with God looks like and how God views us. But also then I think understanding how difficult it can be for us to really accept how God views us. Because as wonderful as that picture is, this idea of, of us coming to God and in falling into God's arms and saying, yes, you are my father. It's so difficult in life for us to move from that spirit where we are slaves to fear and into that spirit where we can trust the almighty God that created us. And, and we've seen this in our own home. And that's been, that's been a hard struggle for us as parents to, to kind of try and figure 
figure out. You know, there came a time where we had gone through the two adoptions and we had moved to Sterling, and particularly the second adoption was just, it was, it was hard. Like, we were kind of fighting our own government, and, and we were fighting against other governments, and there was a lot of spiritual warfare going on, and, and we got to a place where once Hannah's adoption finally happened, we were just run ragged. In fact, we got to a place where we just decided we're going to, to Ethiopia. This thing has been caught up in a long time. She uh, had been referred to us when she was just a couple of months old, and at this point, she was about to turn one. And so we went, and we went willing for my wife to stay in Africa until the courts and the U.S. Embassy got everything sorted out. Now, God was good, and God was gracious, and, and really provided and even, you know, within the first couple of days that we were in the country, finally there was a breakthrough and, and we got clearance to bring her home with us at our regularly scheduled date. We didn't have to, you know, rearrange any plane flights. We didn't have to be a separated family or, or anything. But but that's where we were kind of emotionally. And then when we got back, you know, you're hoping, okay, we've made it to this finish line. And now we can just parent and we can just love these kids that God has called us to parent. But it wasn't that easy because, number one, parenting in general isn't easy and Number two, parenting kids from difficult places isn't easy. And we got to a place where, where we just started to really question ourselves. We were like, what, like, what are we, what are we doing? Are we even good parents? Do we even have anything in, in our toolbox that can help us do this thing well? Because what we saw with our, our kids and especially our adopted kids was they were just struggling and they were oppressed under this spirit of fear. As we started to, to do some research, we realized, you know what, we're not alone in an island on this. This is something that, that just happens. When kids come from, from hard places, it's hard to let go of that fear. It's hard to let go of that fear and have the perspective of, of safety and a fullness of life. It's hard to have faith in the people around you. And so we started to gather up some resources and we started to, to, to look at how we parented to say, how can we parent our kids differently to take them from a spirit of, of fear to a spirit of love and a spirit of safety and a spirit of, of kindness. There's a book that my wife and I go through and we read together and we talked about, talk about, and it's called The Connected Child. And at the beginning of The Connected Child, um, the, the author talks about, in general, what it looks like for a kid who comes from a difficult place to let go of the spirit of fear. And, and the author says this, a two-year-old is adopted from an orphanage where she was underfed, undertouched, and neglected. From lack of stimul stimulation, her senses have not developed normally. In her new adoptive home, she is bombarded by unfamiliar sights, sounds, smells, tastes, and physical sensations, and she's bewildered by the social expectations in the unfamiliar environment. Her impoverished early life makes it impossible for her to keep up, and she becomes overwhelmed with stress and frustration. She expresses herself the only way she knows how, through tantrums and aggressiveness. Confused and troubled by her wild behavior, adults scold her and send her to a room where isolation makes it even harder for her to develop sensory skills or to form close emotional bonds with the family. That's what it looks like for someone when they're under that bondage of fear. And so when we think about our lives and we think about the things that we have experienced, we can't discount previous experience. There are a lot of us in this room who, who are, are hurt people. 
There are a lot of us here in this room who are, are struggling people. We have struggled and we live in fear. We live in fear of our past experiences or past relationships. We live in fear of our past sins. And, and, and what God is trying to call us into is to help us to, to, to say, look, 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 no, we're not going to erase those things. They can't go away. That story's been written, but there's also redemption in the story. And, and each day, as we move farther and farther and farther along that road, God is calling us to understand that, that, that we have the greatest title that we could ever imagine, and that is the child of God. And Paul here gives us some encouragement along those lines. Paul gives us an opportunity to, to, to sit and to contemplate our own lives, where we're at and where we've been and where we're going and in a couple of, of, of steps, really gives us some nuggets of truth to hold on to, that we might live lives that are free and lovely and full of love. Paul says this beginning in verse 9, but you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit uh, is life because of righteousness. And in those first couple of verses there, Paul talks about how we can have the assurance of proximity. We can have the assurance of proximity. We can know that the God isn't going anywhere. That God is close to us because the very spirit of God, the very spirit of, of the resurrected Jesus Christ, that dwells in us. And so there is this flesh and that flesh fills us with doubt and that flesh, it reminds us of our weakness. And, and that can be tragic and that can be hurtful and that can be difficult for us because sometimes we can't see past that fleshly experience. And Paul's saying, no, no, you got to stop and you got to understand and, and you got to listen that when you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, that spirit does not leave you. And so you can be, you can be free to, to explore and you can be free to know who your God is and you can be free to, to stop running from that past, knowing that God has not called you to be on some spiritual island, but that God is walking with you every step of the way. And sometimes we might not see it and we might not feel it, but, but, but we know that the spirit does whisper to us. We know that the spirit does intercede on our behalf and, and it groans for us. We know that we have this thing called scripture that, that, that we can look at to see how the presence of God has been manifested from the time that the earth began through generation after generation after generation. We know that we have people that we're in relationship with and that we live with that can tell us stories about how, how God has never left and how God has never failed. And, and while crazy things might happen and things that might make us fearful, the plans of God will not be derailed and the plans of God will not be thwarted. Our kids struggle with this idea of proximity, and they're even pretty lucky. Like, I get to spend a few weeks with them every summer because I work in education, and my wife, um, she just tries to work every other day so she can have a day at work and then a day with the kids. And we really work hard to, to, to schedule family time and make sure that our, our days just don't get out of hand and that we're not seeing each other. Um, because especially our girls really struggle with that idea of proximity. And, and we were having a hard time because um, we were finding that it was hard for us, and, diff and, and particularly for my wife, to be able to, to, to leave them. 
the girls would get really fearful whenever my, my wife ha- had to leave. And at this point, we had been a family for a while, and her parents had, had you know, gone, and they'd come back, and they'd gone, and they'd come back, and they'd gone, and they'd come back. There was no question that, as to whether or not we were going to come back. But even something as simple as my wife getting up early before the kids were even awake and going for, for a run would just send our oldest into a panic. And she couldn't deal and she couldn't cope. She was incapacitated by fear. And so then it was disrupting her sleep and it was disrupting her, her rest. And she was really internally tormented by all of this. And so we had to, to figure out what can we do to give our daughter the assurance of, of proximity. And a lot went into that, but, but one of the things that really helped is now before my wife goes for a run every, every day, she, she has a, a, a pad of, of sticky notes that sits on her dresser. And before we go to bed, she just writes Ellie a note. And she writes Ellie a note about how great Ellie is and how, about how much mom loves her and about how she can't wait to, to see her and, and spend the day with her. And then she just takes it and she puts it outside of, of, of Ellie's door. And Ellie, like, kept those things for a long time. She kept them in a box. But it's been amazing how just that one simple practice has been this ministry of proximity to her. Where now she's not crippled by fear, but, but she knows even if she wakes up and mom's not there, that mom loves her. And that mom is coming back. Paul wants us to know that, 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 that God gives us this ministry of proximity. That the spirit of God is around us. That the spirit of God is active in our lives. And that God never turns his back on us. God never leaves us. God never forsakes us. Paul goes on to say that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies, also through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit are children of God. What does God want for us? God wants life for us. Sometimes we get this construct of God where, where God doesn't want anything good for us, where God's desires are not in our best interests. But Paul wants to reaffirm over and over again that one of the chief attributes of God is the goodness of God. And so God does not invite evil in, in, into our lives. There are forces at work in this world, and, and we know that. We know that in some ways that battle was, was won at Calvary in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that the fullness of that victory will not be experienced until Jesus comes again. But I think sometimes we attribute a lot of the hurt and the pain and the suffering that, that we experience to God instead of saying, look, these forces are at work. And this God who, who never leaves us is trying to breathe life even into our darkest times, even into the times where we feel as though our life is, is being snuffed out, where, where emotionally everything seems dark or spiritually everything seems distant. There's still this God who is, is calling to us. And this God who wants us to live a life that is in the now and in the forevermore intimate with him and in his presence. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that something that, that all of us will have to explain to our kids someday? I'm sure that you can all think of an authority figure in your life that you have had over time where you have had an experience with them where you think that they're trying to, to squelch you, where you think that they're trying to, to, to restrict you. And as you get older, you're able to look back at it and you can say, wow, like, you know, they were actually trying to help me. 
or when I was out there like making these, these crazy decisions, here they were and they were, they were praying for me and they were gathering people to pray for me. And when I came back, they still loved me. That's the picture that Paul paints of our divine and heavenly father going on to say this, that we've already talked about. For all who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In fact, we suffer with him so that we might also be glorified in him. And two words that stand out to us in that last section. The first is, 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 is that we are heirs with Christ. That we are heirs with Christ. That when we are invited into the family of God, we are not invited in as an afterthought. We are not invited as, as second-class citizens. We are not invited into the throne room of God to, 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 excuse me, to be slaves or to be servants. But we are invited to share in all of the goodness that God has to offer. When we had to go through the very adult, there are a lot of boring things that you have to do as an adult. And kind of honestly, to be honest with you, depressing things. Like think about your own death. One of the things that we had to do uh, a few years ago was, was get a will written up, right? So that when things get figured out, if something should ever happen to us, people know how to handle our estate and how to handle the affairs of our family. And we have to, one of the like joyful things about having kids and bringing kids into your house is that like, yeah, more family members. And one of the bad things is like, oh my gosh, we got to go back and update our will again and, and think about how old we're getting and that we might die soon. Um, but, you know, when we had our will written up, we didn't have our will written up where it's, it's like, you know, well, one kid, because they're the oldest, gets more stuff. Or, you know, our, our biological kid gets privileges that our other kids didn't get. No, we listed our three kids out. And, you know, just in case, who knows what's to happen, but we put a little clause in there that, that and any other children um, uh, born or adopted will share equally of our resources at any time that we should pass. There is no differentiation for us with our kids based on our experiences with them, based on what continent they were, they were, they were born on, based on, on their, their behavior. No, no, no. We just want to, we just want to make sure that they're taken care of and they're well. They are all our heirs. And so when we think about how God views us, God views us as his very children and God wants us to be able to sing this beautiful, harmonious song with his spirit where we say, yes, and you are my daddy. You are my daddy. When it talks in there, Paul talks about us crying out to God saying, Abba, Father, that is a very intimate term. That's not the term of, of, of respect that we typically use for God. When we think about God, it's good to have respect for God. It's good to, to live in fear of the Lord. But there's also this sense in which we should know that God is, is approachable. And I think about what it's like to, to be able to, to cuddle somebody, to be able to cuddle like, like a small child and for them to just be totally relaxed and, and, and to melt into you and to use a nickname for you, for my kids to be able to, to sit there and I can just put my arm around them and they lean into me and they say, daddy, daddy, that's what God wants for us 
to have. And you know what? When, when we finally got to the place as a family where we could feel like we could start to breathe, that was one of the signposts for us. In that account that I read earlier, it talks about how sometimes kids who, who are adopted out of hard places, like, like the sensory deal is too much for them. And so if you've been in an orphanage for nine months and you've only been picked up five times a day so that you could be fed your bottle and had your diaper changed and then you're put back, it's going to freak you out when somebody touches you. And so every time we get to put our arms around our kids and, 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 and they have this calmness about them, and it's not something that's scary for them, and it's not something that's alien for them, it's not something that is otherworldly or uncomfortable, for us, that is a blessing. Because what it says to us is that they're agreeing with us. When we say we want you in our family and we love you and we view you as heirs, they might not be able to articulate that right now with their mouths. But when they lean into us and when they say mommy and daddy and when they, when they cuddle us and when they're able to be still, that's when we know that they have been able to grow one more step out of a spirit of fear and to grow one more step into a spirit of adoption. And so here we are, and Paul gives us this invitation. And it's, it's an open invitation because the blood of Jesus Christ covers all people. And the resurrection that Christ experiences is to breathe life into all people and the Spirit of God is a thing that, that, that can dwell inside all people, and it can connect all people. And as we think about our lives up until this point, how have we been living? Have we been living overly focused on, on the bad and the hurt and the pain and the flesh? Or have we been, been living focused on God just a little bit today? Let me know what it looks like to be your child Help me see and, and taste and experience the goodness that you have for me. Help me share with someone else what goodness and fullness of life looks like. And not that our hard places will all be wiped out in one day, but maybe at the end of each day we can lean into our God and we can say, yes, you're my daddy and I love you and I know that you love me. I believe that and I struggle with it, and I wrestle with it, but, but, but today, God, help me to, to know it just a little bit more. That's something I want, you, I want us all to be able to, to just ponder and to live in as we enter a, a time of the year where we talk about Jesus coming into this world so that we could be ministered to and interceded for. Let's think about what, what the chief end of that is. It's to glorify God, and it's to enjoy God forever. We have some space in our service today, and, and our worship folks are going to come up, and, and they're going to help us with that space. And as they give us that space, if, if you need someone to pray with you, find someone to pray with you. If there are things that, that you are living in fear of, and you're just having a hard time releasing that, let someone know so that, so that we can be a resource for you, so that we can be a guide for you, so that we can be the ones that sometimes the Spirit of Jesus Christ speaks through, so that you can know that God is your Father.